0: Sarah McLaughlin there, into the fire. You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Our guests this week are Jean Taylor and Gavin Roach. Well, 30 years ago last month, Melbourne lesbian film Dykes of Our Restless Days premiered at Melbourne's Glasshouse Theatre and then kind of disappeared. On the line, we do have Jean Taylor. Jean was one of the people involved in the play Dykes of Our Restless Days, which became the film. Uh, Jean, welcome to 3CR.
1: Thank you very much, James. I'm glad to be here.
0: It's a wonderful history. It's a wonderful lost piece of of, of Melbourne lesbian history. Uh, Tell us all about it, Jean.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, Darks of Our Restless Days was Amazon Theatre's um, second uh, performance, a second second uh, play. Uh, the first one was um, Spot the Dike in 1990, which we put on for the Lesbian Festival 1990. And then uh, we were so excited about all the success of the, the success of that that we uh, what we did was, um, in each of our plays, we devised the whole idea of it, and then we all wrote the script, and then we all took made up our characters and performed uh, whatever play that we were doing. And in Dykes were very restless days. It was sort of like a cast of thousands, really, because everybody wanted to be in it, and um, all, all of the Amazon Theatre group, and, and we'd attracted a few more members along who'd, who'd never performed in their lives before either. So uh, it, it, we... It, basically, we because we devised our own characters, it was a matter of making it into a lesbian household that contained most of the um, performers and characters, and then devising plots around that and the various interactions between the characters.
0: It was a wonderfully vibrant time for lesbian culture. Yes. Uh, and politics in Melbourne the very early 1990s uh, yes. and, of course, the late 80s. That whole period in the 90s was incredibly vibrant. Much yes. of it did revolve around shared households. Can yes. you tell us a bit about that, that Melbourne lesbian culture in that era?
1: Well, well uh, we keep in, keeping in mind that uh, for the first 20 years, from 1970 uh, and through the 80s and, in, and up to 1990, for example, most of us had been involved in the women's liberation movement. Um, we started um, from the uh, premise that women were oppressed, which is quite true, it still is in the society, and we were going to make changes. So there's a very political, politically active um, uh, women's liberation movement in Melbourne and, and indeed around Australia, and uh, lesbian feminists were at the forefront of all of that. You know, so not only did we start... Um, Making necessary changes for ourselves as women, we were also starting to make the necessary changes for ourselves as lesbians, and we're and um, we we're out and proud and all that kind of stuff. So by the end of the 1980s, um, there was a whole movement. Rather than um, uh, concentrate on what our, our, our about our impression, oppression as women, we decided to start celebrating ourselves as lesbians. And uh, I was involved in getting the first um, uh, lesbian festival off the ground, 10 days of um, lesbian activities uh, in 1990. I was on the Lesbian Conference Collective, for example, and we booked out... Uh, Many, many rooms at Melbourne Uni. We had a thousand lesbians at that conference uh, over three days. Uh, the 10 day festival included plays, uh, entertainment, music, uh, a concert, a whole range of things. So we booked out Foots, Great Community Arts Centre for that, uh, for a lot of that. Um, so it was a time in the, ni- in the early 1990s in particular and, and all the way to rest of the 1990s uh, in actual fact where lesbians were not only celebrating our sexuality but were out and visible as lesbians and all of our activities reflected that and this is where I was on theatre. We wanted to put on plays that reflected our life and our lifestyle and what we were doing uh, with that and of course setting our second play around a lesbian household, as you've uh, uh, noted too, that there were a lot of lesbian households around. And um, we wanted to... uh, I think because we'd come of age as lesbians, we were making comedies because we could then laugh at ourselves. We, We were not only overjoyed about being lesbians and our politics and all the rest of it, but we could see the funny side of our lifestyle. And I think that's when... People are confident in themselves that they can then start uh, making comedy and seeing the, um, the very, you know, the funny side of life as well.
0: And it was a real time when there was a strong movement around queer law reform, equal opportunity law reform, but also, of course, when Darks of Our Restless Days was was a play and then became a film. It was, you know, at the at the peak years of of the AIDS yes. epidemic as well, where where the queer community was really organising its activism around that. Mm.
1: Well, partly most of that happened through the eighties, um, and and. But at the beginning of the 90s, so with the AIDS, the AIDS, the AIDS um, uh, epidemic started mainly in the 80s, but it's has continued ever since. So that was an underlying aspect of uh, everything that was happening. Uh, and of course, by the time, the, I think, into the 90s, there was uh, there was much many more drugs around and that sort of stuff. In terms of, it it wasn't such a a given that uh, gay males were going to be dying either. So that made it a little easier, uh, sort of a much more lighter era in the 90s. Um, and because the AIDS epidemic didn't, didn't affect lesbians so much, uh, well, uh, we, it did to a certain extent, but not to the extent that g- that gay males have had. So that did not impact our community in the same way. And we were able to get on with our politics and our lives as lesbians, um, in a much um, much more celebratory, celebratory way in the 90s than we had in the previous decades. Uh, and yes, and we had the lesbian festivals. We've had lesbian festivals all the way through the 90s in every state. Um, in 1991, uh, for example, when we were doing Dykes of Our Restless Days, uh, the lesbian festival... We had a lesbian festival in January in Melbourne over 10 days at Footscray Community Arts Centre and then we went to Sydney through the year, uh, in I think July, and um, and the Sydney ducks up there booked the Opera House. So we had 2,000 lesbians at the Opera House for a concert uh, that featured... Um, Robin Archer and Judy Small and the Top Twins and a whole range of lesbian performers, which was absolutely fantastic. So I see the early 90s and probably through the 90s as a peak era for, for lesbians in terms of... Uh, what we we're doing and how we we're
0: doing it, and I can really see then after you've outlined all of that why there was a cast of thousands that wanted <laughs> to be in the film. Now the film's history is absolutely fascinating. Yes, uh, Pat Longmore, rest in peace, made on a, on a budget of seven hundred dollars, which even yes. in you know nineteen ninety one was nothing. Yes. Yes, uh, right. Tell us about the making of the film.
1: Well. <clears throat> um, Pat Longmore, as you're probably aware, was a film buff and knew a lot about films. And um, so the film was actually, I think, made in 1992. Would that be right? Or was it actually screened in 1992?
0: Yeah, 92. Yes. I think it was, it was actually made in, in 91.
1: 91. And filmed in 92 and, and shown in 92. So we were, we were making that film because Pat was on the um, Lesbian and Gay Film Festival uh, board and wanted to show the film because she started start the first uh, we had a lesbian, whole lesbian festival of films in 1990 for the lesbian festival, and then um, then in 1991, uh, Pat was instrumental in helping to start up the lesbian gay and lesbian and gay film festival, and so for the next festival in 1992, she was keen to. Uh, make a film of Darks of Our Restless Days because she could see the, you know, the uh, uh, that that would make a good film, and um, so that it would go on to the 1992 festival, and um, so with uh, no filming experience from our point of view, from the Amazon Theatre point of view, we were still very keen to do that, and with Pat on board, she knew how to do these things, so we. I think we booked a room at Gray Community Arts Centre and uh became um yes we a couple of friends who were um able to um film the the whole thing we just did the play with the, with the cameras going with different angles and and made the film that way
0: yeah, it was shot on video. Pat said at the time that uh, she wanted it to be like a sitcom. So mm. it was shot on video with lots of different angles happening. Mm. Uh, quite innovative, yes. and uh, she was actually on the board of what was called the International Gay and Lesbian Film Festival here in Melbourne, which became the Queer mm. Film Festival mm. later on. Later on yep. And there was a bit of a controversy on holidays. That while she was on holidays, the board decided that they wouldn't show it at the festival yes, because right. they felt it didn't have any cinematic value and yes. uh, because it was shot on video and there was a, a big row.
1: Yes, there was. Uh, we were furious and, and just and totally disappointed, of course um, that the film wasn 't going to be shown because we'd put a lot of time and effort into it and we assumed you know in, in those days that you that um, the, the community was not as uh, professionally um, uh, organized so we assumed as as part of the community that we 'd made a lesbian film here 's the lesbian and gay film festival, of course, our film would go into the Programming and then they knocked it back. So uh, that, that's why we put it on ourselves because they'd knocked it back. We thought, damn it all, it's got to be shown anyway. And so we organised something at the um, RMIT. Um, uh,
0: the glass house theatre.
1: The, that, that's right, at the, the theatre there. So um, so. It, it did cause a bit of a stir in the lesbian community because the lesbian community was right behind us and how dare they and what are they doing and heaven's above. And then, of course, they um, sacked Pat, which was adding insult to injury. And so, uh, again, there's a whole big kerfuffle about that, about what was happening and how was that happening and why. Um, and the, the board just just stuck by their guns. They won't get it back down. They won't get to show our film. So... Uh, there was nothing much to be done apart from a big flurry of letters in the in the press and stuff like that. But, um, yes, we, we couldn't get them to change their minds and they were not going to even... Yes, it just wasn't up to standards or something, you know, that sort of, you know, excuse that they wouldn't put it on. So I'm not sure exactly what... Why, you know, any background to that, but the fact was that um, Pat was no longer welcome in, as part of that whole... Uh, you know, lesbian and gay film thing after that.
0: And, of course, they probably didn't realise its historical significance, both in terms of the era and just how significant it was for lesbian culture, but also how it was depicting a lesbian culture in Melbourne. Uh, And I don't think there's been many, if any, films made since about lesbian shared households in this town.
1: No, no. Well, you wouldn't, would you? I mean... Uh, uh, I, I'm not quite sure whether it was personalities or what was going on.
0: Of course, Dykes of Our Restless Days did premiere as we said at the Glasshouse mm. Theatre at RMIT on the 29th of March 1992. Mm. It was an all women audience, uh, yes, very yes. much in line with the politics at the time, I suppose.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, and
0: the crowd loved it
1: from yes, the newspaper right. reports. Yes. We put on two performances, actually, two shows, and we actually made a a book of our first play, Ducks of... Uh, Ducks of... No, Spot the Dark. and uh, sold it in the foyer during, uh, you know, um, it got it launched in the foyer by Donna Jackson, who's, who had already started the women's circus by that stage, um, just to, you know, sort of cover some of our costs and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, so it became a book as well. Well, the first play became a book, not the second play, but... Uh, so... It, um, and Pat, of course, was a very well-known figure in Melbourne because she ran the Kingston Hotel for six years. Uh, Do did, did you know about the Kingston Hotel? I
0: don't, but it does sound fascinating. Do tell.
1: Yes. Well, in 1980, uh, 1980 Pat um, and a... a a consortium of other lesbians, decided to take over the Kingston Hotel as the licensee of the Kingston Hotel, which is a, a, still a pub in, in Richmond, Hyatt Street, Richmond, And uh, but then the others dropped out, so Pat became the licensee and the owner and the manager of this hotel, which immediately, because it was being run by a lesbian, became the women's pub now we she she was a licensee for six years till eighty six that was a pub that had all lesbians behind the counter um the uh bar dykes held the uh pool room in the in the front room the uh, lesbian feminists uh held the bistro room downstairs so we had fundraisers and um whole range of activities happening in the in the bistro area and um uh The locals, who were a bit bemused by it, they were still able to come because it was an open pub so but it that was a pub that was held by lesbians for six years uh, open pub with there were still regular people coming to the pub you know from the locals and stuff like that, but uh we had a place to go for six days a week. Um, you know, from 10 till 10 at night. It was fantastic.
0: What a wonderful lost piece of, of yes. Melbourne's lesbian history and what a travesty yes. it no longer exists. And we yes. lost the glass house as well, which yes. is a, a theme that's happening all around the world, not just it for is. lesbian pubs, but gay yes. pubs as well.
1: Yep. Yep. Uh,
0: and it's really sad, isn't it?
1: It is sad. Um, yes, so there have been... Uh, uh, There were a lot, a lot of pubs around. We used to, not pubs, but lesbian nights at pubs. We'd we'd have a night, really, you know, a regular night at various pubs around Melbourne. Uh, All of it's gone, all of it's gone. In fact, lesbians have been invisibilised over the last few years, which is a huge um, loss to our community. Um, And we can't, uh, yes, we're not allowed to advertise and, you know, that sort of stuff because of, you know, the current political climate. But really, the 90s were our peak era. Then it's only in the last uh, 20 years, it's amazing to say this, but 20 years, we've been told that we're not allowed to gather um, as lesbians anymore without um, controversial you know, controversy and stuff
0: like that. And that's always been part of the fight for the lesbian community, hasn't it? Mm. You know, lesbian visibility. And lesbian invisibility, of course, is linked to so many, you know, health issues as well, isn't it? I mean, if you can't be visible, if you can't interact with your community, then it's terribly unhealthy.
1: Yes, it's... um Part of the uh, to be out and proud, as you know one of those um, slogans goes, is absolutely essential for somebody 's well being on any level you know whoever you are and however you are but and so the lesbian community has fought very hard and uh, to, to maintain that disability over many, many years, several decades in actual fact. but So it's been a very hard thing for us to be not allowed to gather and, and being made illegal uh, and all that sort of stuff if we want to gather with ourselves because every oppressed group needs to get together with other like-minded and, you know, part of your oppressed group in order to um, uh, discuss... You know, matters of uh, mutual, you know, concern and uh, around a whole range of issues and health being one of them, of course, that's very important. So not to be able to do that has made a very peculiar, it's very odd for those of us who aren't proud for years and then suddenly we can't be anymore, you know, in that public sense.
0: Jean, I have to ask about Dykes of Our Restless Days. Was it ever Mm -hmm. digitised? Was the video ever digitised? It would be wonderful to have another screening.
1: I know. When I saw that on your question, I thought, no, I don't think we have. And uh, it made me wonder, do we even have a copy? (laughs) So, You know, I'm going to have to follow that up. I'm part of of the Women's Liberation Lesbian Feminist Archives at at Melbourne Uni. And we do have lots of archives, archives, lots of videos and stuff of various performances over the years of women's circus and... um, you know, performing older women's circus and stuff. But I'll have to have a look and see. We did um, uh, uh, we did always video our performances on stage, uh, you know, as a record. Um, so there's, we would probably have a record of Dykes of Our Restless Days in that sense. But I'm not sure of the film, um, what, what happened and whether Pat might have kept copies. And, of course, Pat died in 92. So... Um, it might be part of her estate somewhere, but it's not... I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up and see if we have. Uh, I don't think... I think if we do have a copy, it'll still be in video. I don't think we've if we've got a DVD of it, uh, although we do have a little bit of money at the moment. We're considering making some of our videos available on DVD, but I'm um, not sure about that one.
0: It's interesting. The Australian Queer Archives was of the view that a videotape was in the Amazon Theatre Archives at Melbourne Uni. So right. maybe there is a, a tape there somewhere. It would yes, be fascinating.
1: Yes. yes it, as I say, it might be just of the play rather than the filmed play. You know what I mean? There's a bit of a difference. But I will check on that. Yes, it should be. It should be there. Absolutely.
0: Jean yes. Taylor, thank you for taking us down memory lane and sharing a wonderful piece of Melbourne's queer history, Melbourne's lesbian history, the wonderful play mm-hmm. and film, Dikes of Our Restless Days. Thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you for asking me, James. It's fantastic. My All pleasure. The best. Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Jean Taylor there. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James, and here's Cat Power. Mm-hmm.
2: you uh-huh.
0: is Jackson there with here. We also heard from Paddy Smith with Looking For You. And here's Avril Levine. There, run away you are, and in your face on three CR with James. Joined on the line by Gavin Roach. Gavin is the producer and director of a hundred words for snow, showing at Theatre Works in St Kilda May second to seven. Gavin, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You are so prolific. I mean, you wrote, <laughs> performed, produced Confessions of a Grinder attic. You adapted and produced mm-hmm. Beyond Priscilla, the play. You did The Measure of a Man, you took it to Prague, you produced yes. and directed Lake Disappointment, and you recently produced Bottom for Midsummer. How do you do it?
3: Um, it's a lot of caffeine, um, very little sleep, and just a lot of determination to prove my mother wrong. Um, but, but, yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm always kind of moving on to the next project as soon as one comes along. Um, I kind of have this idea in my head when, when I kind of get to the final stages of rehearsal of what the next one's going to look like. And I just kind of never, never quite stop.
0: It's, it it is incredible. And when I, when I saw the title, a hundred words for snow, the first thing I thought of was a hundred words for climate change, which kind of fits with, with what your title's about. Um, Tell us about the links.
3: Uh, it, It really does. So throughout, the, uh, the show, there's a really good correlation between uh, grief and and rebirth and discovery that I think uh, blends itself really well into the ever-changing uh, climate change uh, debate and research, if you will. Um, you know, every... And, and not always in a depressing way are we finding different ways that we are are seeing the impact of climate change or what climate change actually is. Uh, But it is ever-changing, much like grief and self-discovery that our main character, Rory, uh, discovers on the way to her adventure to the North Pole.
0: Yeah, tell us about Rory. I mean, she's uh, she's grieving for her dad. She takes his ashes to the North Pole with her. I mean, there's a lot going on there
3: uh She is one of the most uh wonderful characters i've ever had the experience to uh i guess to work with um the 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 wonderful performer Eddie Patterson that brings Rory to life just stepped into this this like perfectly wonderfully fractured but relatable uh teenager who Every few moments, both Eddie and I are kind of like, oh, I know that person, or, oh, getting so frustrated by her as well. And she's just so wonderfully um, confident, but also self-deprecating, but self-fulfilling. She celebrates herself. She also distrusts herself while completely trusting herself to go on this huge adventure that even probably for me at my age now feels like absolutely beyond me. But she's just just so wonderfully relatable and just somebody who just takes you up in their arms and just is like, come with me. I'm going to take you on this wild adventure. And it's, it's, it's great to watch Eddie embody Rory and completely give themselves over to this character in a really joyful way.
0: And it's such a metaphor for the climate crisis, the climate catastrophe that young people are facing. You know, they've got to go on this journey of life as the planet cooks. <laughs> it's It really is a wonderful metaphor for climate change.
3: It, it really is. And I think you make a really good point in that it it really showcases how little we listen to, especially teenagers in the latter half of your teenage years. So many people around Rory don't listen to how she wants to honour her father, how her grief is going, how she saw her father, and how sometimes she's a bit remorseful about the way that she Grew up to have a bit of a just a, a, that healthy distance that you kind of have with your your parents as you get a bit older, but no one really listens to her or to her needs or to what she wants to do with these ashes and how and why and and that they're not just a misguided uh, fanciful adventure that she wants to go on with them, that it's actually a really beautiful way of honouring somebody that didn't get to have this adventure himself. And I think, as you said, we don't listen to those, those young people who are in the latter half of their teenage years, who are actually very well-informed, are very well-researched and are inheriting a world that they want to, an influence over they they would like their opinions heard and they aren't just uh, you know young and misguided and and just because you're older you know better um, I think it's a really good way to to see the world through the eyes of somebody who sure maybe not have has all the answers but they they might actually have more of an education than you than you realised.
0: It's third time lucky for this play because of COVID. There's been a few stop <laughs> yeah. starts. But, Gavin, you must be pinching yourself that you've got a, a play that you know really kind of has so many metaphors for climate change and tackling it and young people which are at the forefront of campaigning mm. for a better future. And this play is, is premiering in Australia smack bang right in the middle of an election campaign when so many people want climate change to be at the forefront of policy. Uh, the timing's pretty good, don't you think?
3: Yeah, it, 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 it has a bit of a double-edged sword because it, it, it is right. Right in the middle of it and and even more so, after our, our Melbourne season, we go to sydney and while we 're in Sydney is the actual election um, so I think I will be uh, in in the bio box in Sydney on my phone, sort of signaling to Eddie on stage what 's happening but it it does give the play a, a bit of a of an exciting feel it feels like we are. Tackling something that is so so present and so here and now. And even though it may not speak directly to the election, it it has certainly piggybacked in a way that, you know, we never knew that the election was going to be called cool now. I don't think anybody knew when that when the damn thing was going to be. But now that it's here, we're kind of like, well, this is our little little um little moment to add to it if you will so that it, it gives it a bit more of an exciting edge certainly
0: I mean your work does kind of just without you even I think intending it often does have a political edge uh, do you think that's because you are a gay man and we just you know we have to be kind of political activists with what we do so often because of the world we live in
3: I think it I think it straddles both I think it is exactly that I think there's a, a certain um, uh, political way of thinking that comes with being part of the wider queer community and it's definitely something that the more that I've educated myself both by listening to to friends and, and allies and colleagues around me but also through my university studies but I think also just being part of theatre in general and the theatre that I gravitate to, I think any theatre has a um, a message, and, and one of the benefits of of theatre is once those doors close, it's it's that sort of like social feeling that you you it's a bit of a faux pas to walk out. So once you're there, you've got to listen. And I tend to gravitate to things that may not always speak directly to, but will just inch an audience to maybe think about something that they didn't as they were coming in. And to continue to think about as they leave, and I, I, I haven't exactly found something that I'm like this is is exactly the message I want to say, but each each play that I, I gravitate towards has has something that I want to share with the audience, um, and this time around it, it happens to be right in the middle of a of a debate that has has real impact for for shaping shaping the nation moving forward.
0: Of course, you produced Bottom for the recent Midsummer Festival. You must yes. have found yourself going straight from Bottom to 100 Words for Snow. Do you find that, you know, back-to-back like that gives you a momentum uh, that's invaluable? I mean, you're directing and producing 100 Words for Snow. Um, yeah, do you find that momentum of the back-to-back projects really helps or...? or- oh,
3: yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It really lends itself to kind of. It, it takes away those those moments that you feel like you're ed- edging towards autopilot. As with with anything, any any practice, be it uh, theatrical, creative, or or even just your day to day job, there's that certain moment where the momentum plateaus, and having. Projects back to back. It means, or sometimes the rehearsals would happen concurrently. Um, you know, uh, the the performer in bottom, Ryan, would leave the room, and then Eddie would come, and off we'd go with a hundred words for snow. And and being able to do that meant that if momentum shifted and plateaued for one, I was bouncing back up with the next one, and then that would. That would bring me up for, for the rehearsals for Bottom and then for 100 Words for Snow. And it just keeps you a bit limber, keeps you a bit bouncing because they're, they're two completely different worlds. The only correlation they really have is that they're both set in England and both English writers. And outside of that, they're, they're very, very different. So it just kept, kept me malleable, if you will.
0: It's so interesting. I didn't realise you did them both literally at the same time in terms of, oh, of yeah. those rehearsals. Bottom was so sexually charged. Now, there is an element of Rory exploring her, her sexuality. Did you find that working on Bottom and working on 100 Words for Snow at the same time actually helped with that? Uh,
3: no. It, it, I mean, it certainly helped in the big umbrella terms, but their experiences are so different. And I think... In, in a strange way, I'd say then it, it, it helps to remind me that there isn't just one way. And a lot of those themes came up in Bottom, that there isn't just one way where your sexuality and your sexuality in terms of other people is accessed. But with Rory and the honesty in the writing and the way that it's portrayed and the way that Eddie relates and that Eddie embodies uh, the physicality and the voice it really showed the stark differences between how people access their sexuality and have that journey of, of first time that uh, are very special to yourself, but can be quite fleeting. Um, so even though Bottom was quite sexually charged, this 100 ha- uh, Words for Snow has this completely different element coming through to it that was so very, not, not foreign to me, but very surprising and, and had that lovely quality that I like in theatre, which was like, that wasn't my experience, but the writing is so beautiful that you can relate to and you almost feel like you're, you're going through it with Rory. So it was really lovely to have that um, juxtaposition between the two.
0: You've got this wonderful skill set of being a writer, a producer, a performer, a director. Uh, you know, so many people would give their eye teeth for that. Which one do you prefer?
3: <laughs> oh, gosh. It really, it honestly depends on the day. Um, sometimes the producing can get very overwhelming when there's suddenly a stack of emails or when um, my, there's a, a deadline or my publicist is on the phone and and asking about a certain image or or bump in gets a bit chaotic. Um, Other times the writing is wonderful when I fall in love with a character or don't overly enjoy a character, so I just put them through their paces. Um, Sometimes directing I love, but then I tend to talk too much about one certain thing and become fixated, and acting is is kind of that was always my first love that was the thing that I ran away from home to do so it's always it's always the one that's in my back pocket that I'm always like oh I'll come back to you one day so it's really just the yeah it it depends on the day and on the project but each one sometimes feels interchangeable and sometimes it just comes down to which one is achievable at that certain point in time with each project
0: did you really run away from home to be an actor
3: (laughs) uh well I say it I mean I got into acting school but it was in Wagga Wagga so it was five hours away from home and my parents preferred that I stay and I kind of just packed my bag and went so and I've never really looked back and you know 25 productions and four degrees later here I am
0: well, Gavin Roach, it's been wonderful to chat with you about your amazing work and your amazing upcoming production, 100 Words for Snow, uh, TheatreWorks' new explosive factory, explosives factory in Inkerman Street, St Kilda. Gavin Roach, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And, of course, that's on May 2nd to 7. Thank you so much. Thank you. The wonderful Gavin Roach there. I am out of here. Jacob is up next with a Friday rave. Taking us out is Jamiroquai. And we'll catch you next week on your face.
4: Little darling, don't you say the sun is shining just for you? Only today, if you hurry, you can get a Like every hummingbird and bumblebee Every sunflower cloud and every tree I feel so much a part of this Nature's got me high and it's beautiful I'm with this deep eternal universe From death until rebirth This corner of the earth is like me Sit for hours here And watch the hear about feathers play On the face of it I'm blessed When the sunlight comes to free I know this corner of the earth It smiles at me So inspired that there's nothing left to do or say Think I'll dream Till the stars shine And the clouds don't seem to care And I know inside that it's all mine It's the chorus of the breaking dawn The mist that comes before the sun is born To a hazy afternoon in May Nature's got me high and it's so beautiful This deep eternal universe From death until rebirth You know that this corner of the earth Feels like me in many ways I can sit for hours here And watch the air of feathers play On the face of it I'm blessed When the sunlight comes to free I know this corner of the earth It smiles at me